Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. We have with us today Debbie Saraswati Lewis. Debbie is from Jackson, Mississippi. She's quite the pioneer in both the yoga and Enneagram world. She's been certified by Don Briso and Russ Hudson, which is a big deal in the Enneagram world because they are early pioneers of this personality typing system. She also has been teaching yoga for over 30 years and owned her own yoga studio for almost 30 years in Jackson, Mississippi. We're just so grateful to have Debbie with us. Debbie is an Enneagram 4. You will hear that as she talks. She's got such an artistic and philosophical soul. We're so grateful that she's here. Let's dive into the interview. You wrote a book about the Enneagram and yoga, and it was called Yoga Nine Ways. Kat and I have both read it, and so we highly commend that to our listeners. Yeah, we have both read your book. Um, When did you discover yoga, and when did you discover the Enneagram? Well, thank you. Um, I was working as an alteration lady, so um, I was self-employed and um, sewing all the time, and somebody suggested my neck and shoulders hurt. I had bad posture. I had no confidence. I didn't know what I was, you know, anyway, what to do with a liberal arts degree, Um, and uh, somebody suggested yoga, so I went to my first yoga class, and it, it totally, like, I was like, wow, it was it was exactly what I needed. And um, this was in 1985, I believe. And my teacher at the time was kind of a real pioneer in Mississippi, you know. Um, anyway, she she saved my life, I guess. Uh, and I kept coming and eventually she needed a sub and asked me and well, actually my kind of hand went up. I mean, bear in mind, I had I'd organized my whole life so I wouldn't have to stand up in front of people and talk, right? So I would just put me in a corner and let me be creative was anyway, but my hand went up and I started subbing for her. And then she opened up a studio and invited several of us to teach um, with her. So for the first six or eight years, I was her understudy. And she was also in the process of becoming an Iyengar teacher. So um, I eventually left her, even though I loved her, I adored her. She helped me birth two babies and, you know, She's my guru, um, but it got too serious. I got serious I didn't, you know, couldn't breathe. I was performing for her just to seek her approval. So I began to branch out and then I ended up opening up my own studio. And um, so my training is now pretty eclectic. You know, I, I started doing power yoga, <laughs> Ashtanga. And, um, and so I, I had a studio for 30 years. And so that's kind of how that got started. And um, then Enneagram along the same lines, it's like um, about the same time um, as I was branching into yoga, you know, I already knew about Enneagram. My dad was a preacher and he he used the Enneagram in his, you know, teaching. And um, so I, I knew about it, but this lady named Tina Thomas came to me and found out that I did emotional release body work, Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy. And um, she could tell by my bio, I was a four and she's a seven wanting to go deep at five. And she's she's the one who burst in my mind, the combo of yoga and Enneagram. So she came to me for therapy. And uh, this was in the eighties, 
I'm not sure exactly. But anyway, um, and she inspired me to go get trained. So I went to Don Riso and Russ, Russ Hudson's um, Enneagram Institute training. And I'm probably the longest. Uh, it took me longer than anybody that I know to, to get that because I had small children. And um, so I would go to, to, to this module and that module. And then, you know, one of the essays kept trying to turn into a book. So then I, anyway, I finally got certified through them. And um, yeah. Wow, that's a big deal to get certified trading with Russ Hudson and Don Rizzo. Yeah. And then a 30 year studio. That makes you quite a pioneer in both the Enneagram world and yoga. And tell us your Enneagram number. I'm a four. You're a four. Okay. <laughs> yep. And Debbie, you said that you would maybe tell our listeners uh, the meaning of your last name, Sarasvati, if I said it right. Happy to. Um, so Sarasvati is, uh, is one of the goddess trinities in the Hindu uh, religion, and um, she is the creator goddess. So she represents uh, creativity, uh, communication, wisdom, and all. And I was given that name as a, um, a Sufi initiate. So I, I began after college. I, I found a family that was um, a Sufi family, Hazrat Anayat Khan. You know, so if you're not familiar with Sufi, um, maybe the poet Rumi or Khalil Gibran, they're Sufis. That'll give you an idea. If you haven't read Khalil Gibran or Rumi, we definitely suggest that you do a deep dive into their poetry because it's just so philosophical and deep and romantic. In fact, I think it would really resonate with the heart of any Enneagram 4, so I can see why you especially were attracted to it uh, because it just really is introspective and that is... Um, one of the characteristics of the four. So definitely check out Gabron or Rumi if you haven't before. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned that you owned a yoga studio and then Christy said that it was ownership for 30 years, which is so impressive and incredible. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your yoga studio and then what called you to open it up? Because it, you know, from Chris and I, we've both taught for, um, for quite a while. And I think I'll, I think owning a yoga studio is labor of love. You don't do yeah. it for anything other than the love of the game. So just tell us a little bit about it. That is so true. In fact, um, you know, not being a business person and not having a business brain, I'm a four, right? Um, not, <laughs> um, it was a labor of love and um, I named it Joy Flow and I, the name kind of came from me. And in fact, not just the studio, but just what I was doing was I called it Joy Flow because as I've put together the alignment of Iyengar, the passionate breath of Ashtanga, the, the therapy of Vinny yoga, basically all the things that I'd studied put together, it's like, what is this? And it's like, boom, joy flow. Um, you know, it, uh, at the time it was very vinyasa based, but it wasn't this new vinyasa. And we'll, I'm gonna talk about that too. Um, so it kind of happened gradually. It's like I, I uh, taught 
in the upstairs room of a chiropractor and they advertised it and all of a sudden people showed up. It's like there wasn't much around. I mean, I'm, I'm in Jackson, Mississippi in the 80s, right? We had one Iyengar teacher. We, it wasn't even in the gyms yet. So, um, so people came and I gradually went from a teeny, teeny tiny little place to a little bit bigger, to a little bit bigger. And, um, and I wasn't good at paying myself. So, you know, yes, it was a labor of love. I put everything back into it again. Um, and th for 30 years, um, and I have to say, when I in, when it ended, it taught me a lot of lessons. Let's just say I, I realized I'm not I'm not a good manager of a bunch of women either, <laughs> and and I trusted people who had different um, goals and and you know and you know ideas about what yoga was. So in the end, I, I didn't mean to close it, but it was just like, uh, uh this is not anyway. I don't want to go too much into that, but it's just like, you know, that's why I'm right now don't have a yoga studio. And it's taken me a while to kind of pivot and figure out, well, what, how am I, you know, what, how am I going to bring joy flow to people? You know? And I can imagine a big lesson in practice and non-attachment. Exactly. As you can imagine, we, we fours want to find our special purpose mm -hmm. and we, our whole ego is wrapped up in it. And so I was definitely, you know, wrapped up in me being, you know, the owner of this studio and providing this beautiful place that had ambiance and, you know, bringing, bringing forth the, you know, life-changing wisdom for them. Um yeah. yeah. So when, when I lost that, I really, it's, it's been seven years now. And I think that's kind of a prophetic number where yeah. I've sort of felt like I've been wandering in the desert trying to find myself. So I kind of jokingly say, well, COVID happened to me a little early than everybody yeah. else. I was already in that space, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, you're right. <laughs> Well, and if that seven years is that wandering in the desert, that could mean some really good things are coming, right? That you're starting. So I think so. So the timing of this is really awesome. <laughs> Debbie, tell us a little bit about how the Enneagram and also yoga have helped you to heal emotionally and spiritually, but also to do that inner work of transformation. I like many people I started yoga cuz my neck hurt, you know, something something hurts and so you go check it out. And then, you know, because I had studied philosophy and and, and I'm a four. Um I found that, you know, spiritually it really fed me and and helped me deal with depression. And um so you know, the, just the yoga itself was healing that way. And then when I realized what, you know, um, the Enneagram pattern, it was like a revelation. I think, I think I read uh, personality patterns, the, the orange book that they wrote where it goes into detail of all the levels of health. And I bawled my eyes out. It was like, I am not a failure. I'm not a defect. That is just my pattern. And so knowing that, and then, um, you know, that was very healing on, on a deep level. And uh, then, of course, to find that, that, that the patterns work well together for, you know, um, and how they combine in so many different ways. Um, my teachers would say um, the reason we get out of balance is that we are um, misusing our, our, our centers of intelligence. So head, head, 
head, heart, and gut. And I'm like, oh, chakras. I know how to um, it, help people find balance using um, the centers or the chakras. And so I can advise a yoga practice for everybody, depending on what their balance needs are. So there's that. There's also a Niyama that instructs us to you know, st study ourselves. So it's there. Um, we also, you know, in the yoga world, they talk about avidya, which is the, um, you know, the patterns of that we see, we see through a lens. And by the way, I don't like the word passion for that, for that, um, even though it's used in the Enneagram community. Um, I, because I like the word passion, I need passion, you know, <laughs> I need it in a good way. So, um, so I like to call it lens. It's the lens we see through. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, that turns into samskaras, which is patterns. So, mm -hmm. you know, they go, they go together in so many different ways. Yeah. So you're talking about the, what some people call the deadly passion or the deadly sin and that you would mm -hmm. call it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think of it as a lens. It's um, a good way to think about it. What has caught you by surprise? What have you learned about yourself through Enneagram that has surprised you? Well, it's very humbling. Even if you teach this stuff, isn't it though? Uh, and you know this stuff, you're still dadgum human. And, um, you know, and so, I, yeah, I do still go through um, periods of depression and I still do go through periods where I feel just stuck. And um, and I, even though I know it's happening. So mm -hmm. that has been a surprise, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, but and, and, and to work towards forgiveness and just to understanding and self-awareness that um, of the human condition. So I'd like to think it makes me a more empathetic yoga therapist and, and they, they tell me that. So it, it does me good to kind of work with people and then to reflect that, that they feel so understood. And I'm like, yep, because I'm, I'm good at hitting rock bottom. So I know how that is, <laughs> you know. How do you see the um, arrows, the, the two and the one in you as a four? How, how do you notice those arrows in you? Good question. Yeah. And and by the way, uh, I don't think you can see my shirt. Yeah. There's the one motto. I didn't really, be, I didn't plan that, but it just happened. Just do it. Um, when I go to one, that is the just do it place. It's like, you know, you're passionate about it. Get off your butt. And, and no matter what the conditions are that might not feel optimum, you might not feel it. Just get started to so go do it. Show up. Um, and two, two, going to two, it's been very interesting. It's kind of like, you know, I mentioned that I rarely paid myself on a regular basis. So giving, giving, giving. And that, and when, when I'm stressed, it's sort of like, well, what do y'all need? What do y'all want? What can I give you? So you'll love me and pay me and come back. Oh my goodness, Debbie, all of the twos and all of the fours who just heard what you had to say are going to know exactly what you're talking about. I have a lot of friends who are fours. And when they're in stress, they become very generous with their money, also with their listening ear, because fours are empaths. And they're that type that just want to be in the pain with you when you're in pain. But sometimes they can give too much of themselves, not just with money and not just with time, but just that, that listening ear and that empathy. And so that's something that I know is true of 
fours when they go to the two in stress, but also, of course, twos. We're like that as well. And I'm a two on the Enneagram. Kat, do you want to tell Debbie your number on the Enneagram? So I'm Enneagram one. And one of my favorite things is laughing because uh, it takes me out of my oneness and it plants me firmly into the carefree, joyful, do not have to keep it managed or controlled uh, world of a seven. So laughing is yes. my favorite thing. If I feel stressed, even like sad or down, it's good to laugh. But if I feel stressed, I just find something funny to watch and, and I just go with it. So I have heard that you are certified in laughter yoga, which I have heard about, but I've never had an opportunity to practice. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? I think it's awesome. Yes. Um I am. I, I encountered a teacher uh, that, that offered to come to our studio and certify if, if we got like six people together um, to do it. And um, she suffers from Parkinson's. And so laughter builds dopamine in the system and it's been healing for her. So um, and I find it, you know, as a four, you know, that it 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 lightens you up a little bit. I think probably not only dopamine, but serotonin, you know, in your system. And uh, so Dr. Katara is the originator of it in India. And they had laughter clubs and he was studying like all the vitals of people before the laughter and then after the laughter as far as blood pressure and, um, you know, just uh, health wise. And um, they had trouble telling jokes with not offending people and keeping it funny. And what he came up with was a system of laugh anyway. Your body doesn't know whether you're faking it or not. So, um, which is especially great if you're four, because you really don't feel like doing laughing most of the time. <laughs> it's like, but but if you just start faking it, and then eventually, just the human condition is really darn hilarious, isn't it? So, um, you know, that's another reason to laugh, uh, and that's another reason laughter, yoga, and enneagram go well together, because you know. <laughs> Yeah. It's quite funny. Um, but anyway, there are all sorts of little systems to kind of keep the laughter going is what we're trained in. And, you know, stretches and movements like very good, very good. Yay. Anytime the, the laughter, you know, drop, drops away and, um, and and just silly, being silly, you know, like mental floss and <laughs> laughing in a symphony, you know, pick mental an instrument floss. and laugh like that. I like that. Do you still teach laughter yoga? I don't that much. Um, I, you know, that's, I have a friend who brought me in to a family reunion of hers mm -hmm. and she actually bought me a domain and said, go do it. And I haven't, so I don't get to do it that much, but I do incorporate it when I do workshops. Yeah. I've only been able to experience it one time. It was at a retirement home and uh, somebody who was certified in laughter yoga was leading it. And I just happened to be there because I worked as a chaplain. That was my former profession. And so it was really fun though. And it's amazing yes. how contagious laughter is and how you can just, um, you know, join in the fun and it does feel like there is that sort of feel good chemicals start to just invade yeah. your body. So I, I see what yeah. you're talking about with the dopamine and the Parkinson's and how that would be 
really helpful to um, anybody with a neurological disorder or, or somebody with depression. Like that seems like it would help a lot of things. So yeah. that's really fun. And I have taught um, at several, several retirement homes and, uh, you know, it does help if somebody's got a very contagious laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it spreads, huh? Throughout mm -hmm. the retirement homes. That's really fun. For our meditation, sometimes I offer meditation and other times meditative thoughts. Today, instead of a breathing meditation, I want to offer these words from Rumi. Your task is not to seek love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. And I want to say that again, that we are here to seek and find all the barriers within ourselves that we have built against love. And as we relate that to the Enneagram, I wanted to start in the heart center with type two, which is my type. Sometimes the type two is called the giver or the helper. I was realizing today that one of the things that I did, which is easy for a type two to do, is I shopped for too long. I was starting to think about Father's Day gifts. My father-in-law and mother-in-law both have birthdays this summer. I even started to think about Christmas gifts. And I ended up shopping for more time than I had allotted for myself to shop. What that means for me is when I go into giving mode, I end up not having enough time for relationships, but especially for a relationship with myself and giving to myself. So one of the barriers to love is actually giving. Obviously, sometimes when giving is done in a healthy way or when it's done in moderation, it can be a pathway to love. But anytime we're not using something in a healthy way and we're overdoing something, it can actually be a detriment to love. And that's what happens with me and giving from time to time. And I was able to identify something that was stressing me out and realize that I was numbing my pain through giving. So it's good to have the Enneagram because it can be a way that I check myself and I realized, ooh, I'm actually hindering myself from being in a healthy place. So for the type two, our barriers to love are giving too much, not asking for help or receiving love. For the type three, the barrier for love is the constant doing. Again, we say this often on our podcast, but the type three ends up being a human doing instead of a human being. And so through all the doing, this gets in the way of relationship with yourself and others. That can be a real struggle for the type three, also not revealing their true authentic self and being the chameleon who becomes who others want them to be can also be a hindrance to love. For the type four, we're still in the heart triad, so we just did the type three, which is our achiever. Now we're moving on to the type four, the individualist. 
For the type four, their constant comparing themselves can be a thief of joy, but also of relationships. Because, because they compare themselves to the person in the house next to them, it puts them in a position where there's a wall between them and that neighbor. So that can get in the way of relationships. Their sensitivity is another way that they um, put a wall up between themselves and others. They're very sensitive. We, you know, it's very common now to talk about a highly sensitive person, and that could be any of the nine types. But type fours really struggle with sensitivity. So people are hurting their feelings, and that means that they become moody and broody, and that prevents them from having healthy relationships with others. Sometimes even their feeling that they don't belong and that they don't fit in, that could also be uh, a, a separation between themselves and others. So for our type five, we're moving to the thinking triad. These are our observers. These are the people who are the thinkers. And that is their gift, but it also can get in the way of relationships. And the way that it gets in the way of relationships is they overemphasize thinking, but they forget about how important it is to move in their body and live in their heart space. And if they're not moving in their body and out in the world, they're not relating to others. And if they're not in their heart space and being able to empathize and feel feelings, they also can struggle with connecting with other people. Also, they're withdrawal mode that they're constantly in or their remoteness is another means that keeps them from relationships with others. So now still in the head triad, sometimes known as the anxiety triad, we are talking about our type six next. They are the loyalist. And just think of that name loyalist. I think that we would think that that would make for a great partnership with other people, it would be a pathway to love. And it certainly can be, just like giving can be a pathway to love for the two. But it also can mean that they start to test other people's loyalty. So they mistrust others. They doubt whether other people will be loyal to them. And they also have a lot of self-doubt, a lot of mistrust of themselves. They also lack confidence sometimes, and other people can see that lack of confidence and that too can get in the way of relationships with others. Seven, seven is also in the head triad. Sometimes we even call this the safety triad. And the sevens are our enthusiasts. They are all about a fun time. And again, a fun time can be a pathway to a loving relationship, but it also can get in the way of solid relationships because the seven can avoid conversations that they feel might be boring or even hard or painful conversations. Also, they're always thinking about having a good time. So they're thinking about what's next, what's next, and that keeps them from being present with other people, which also can be a barrier to love. Our eights are sometimes known as the challenger. And as we move to the eight, we're moving into the body triad. This is also sometimes called the anger triad. The type eight has a fear of vulnerability. And that fear of vulnerability can mean 
that they don't open up their heart space to others and share their true feelings or share what's really painful because they want to be strong. And wanting to be strong also can get in the way of relationships with others because wanting to be strong means they have to be in charge and they have to have and hold the power in relationships. And when there's not mutuality in a relationship, that can get in the way as well. So for our type nine, also, this is part of our head triad and our body triad, the type nines can be a little bit passive aggressive. They don't want to acknowledge their anger. And so sometimes their anger can come out sideways and that can get in the way of relationships. Also not expressing what they need, their voice, their opinions can get old sometimes to people and that can get in the way of relationships. And finally, our type one, the ones are sometimes known as the perfectionist and the perfectionist on the Enneagram can have high expectations of themselves and high expectations of others. And so not having a lot of grace for themselves and grace for others can get in the way of a relationship with themselves and in the way of a relationship with others. I want to come back to the quote by Rumi. Your task is not to seek love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Maybe take a moment to find goddess arms and just really open up in your heart space. Remind yourself as you open up in your heart space that you want to be aware and mindful of those barriers that get in the way of fully loving yourself and loving others, of fully receiving love and giving love. And then perhaps bring hands to your heart space. Namaste, friends.